As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to the book of Acts. In thinking about what I wanted to do as a, an opening sermon series, I thought the book of Ephesians would be a very good place uh, to begin. So, so, of course, this morning we'll look at the book of Acts. <laughs> I'm going to be reading from Acts 18, uh, verses 24. Uh, down into chapter 19, verse 10. Um, this begins a description of the ministry at Ephesus. This is the beginning of the ministry uh, in this area that Paul would later write to. So that when we look, when we get to the epistle to the Ephesians, I wanted you to have the context of what the ministry was like, that, what the people were like that he was writing to. So we're going to take a couple of weeks, uh, three probably, to give background to Ephesians. That way when we get to the letter, you will be, have all the context needed to really appreciate that beautiful letter. Acts 18, beginning in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord... And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued and unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word this morning. 
Our Heavenly Father, this is an account that you have given to us, that the Spirit has preserved for us as your people, that we might see the way that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, through lay preachers, and through lay persons, men and women, the way that Jesus continued the ministry on earth, even after he had ascended to the heavenly places. And so give us eyes to see and ears to hear and wills that will receive and accept what you have for us here today. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What do you want for the ministry of Grace Covenant Church? What do you want? I'm here. What do you want? By the way, what you want shouldn't change because I'm here. But what do you want? What do you want in the ministry of Grace Covenant Church? Now, to some degree, that is a trick question because I've already told you what Christ wants. Two weeks ago, as we looked at the high high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ from John 17, I reminded you that what Jesus wants for his church is for the church to be one in the life, love, and mission of God. That's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus has as the purpose for the ministry of the church on earth. Jesus, in that high priestly prayer I reminded you, is praying for the disciples and he's praying for all the ministry that would happen throughout the history of, history of the world that would come from those disciples. He was praying for the ministry of Grace Covenant Church. And he is still praying for the ministry of Grace Covenant Church. He is praying for you even right now. And he's praying that we will be one in his life one in his love and one in his mission. And ultimately, as I ended the sermon, one in his glory. But until that comes, what is the ministry of Grace Church to be about? Jesus Christ has ascended. The Holy Spirit came powerfully and mightily at Pentecost, filling the church with Jesus himself filling the church with the power that would be needed, that we would be witnesses there in Jerusalem and stretching out further and further and further throughout the entire world. This is Jesus' purpose for us, and he has given the Spirit uh, to help us and to be our aid and to be our power. What do you want for the ministry of Grace Covenant Church? Well, I'm going to share some things from this passage this morning about the ministry at Ephesus that are going to give you some insights into what I want. Now, I don't always get what I want. I'm married. I'm used to that. But this is what I want for Grace Covenant Church. And this first thing that we see here really has mostly to do with me. Notice that as 
Luke begins to unfold the ministry uh, in Ephesus that he talks about this enigmatic figure named Apollos. Apollos, we are told, was a Jew who was from Alexandria. Now, what's going to be said about Apollos after this really has already been said by saying that he's a Jew from Alexandria. And you all know exactly what that means, right? Alexandria in Egypt was one of the three main learning-slash-cultural centers for the Jewish people in the ancient Near East. We all know about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like one of the main hubs for the Jewish people, for the Jewish faith. But we also know that the Jewish people did not remain faithful to the covenant. And as a result, the northern ten tribes were taken off by Assyria. The southern two tribes were taken off uh, by, the, um, by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. Now what happened in the history of the Jewish people because of that is that Babylon became a second center of learning and culture for the Jewish people in the ancient Near East. Because when the scripture tells us that they came back to the promised land, it tells us very specifically that not everybody came back. There was a contingent that stayed in Babylon, and Babylon, as a result, uh, because the thing that the, what they were able to keep from, from who they were in Jeru- Jerusalem, because that went with them to Babylon, Babylon became this center of culture and for learning. Well, there were other what are called diasporas for the Jewish people. During the time of Alexander the Great, there was a contingency of Jewish people, mostly made up of Jewish military, that ended up in Alexandria. And then after Alexander the Great, during the reign of the, of the Ptolemies, that um, Alexandria became another center of culture and for learning for the Jewish people. And Alexandria itself was known as being a, a, a place of great education. It was known for its libraries. It was known for history and philosophy and for literature and for music. It was known for these great things. And what we see in this person, Apollos, is that as he is someone from that area, he is a Jew that is coming from Alexandria, we are told that he was eloquent. And that makes sense as he was someone who studied in Alexandria and would have Uh, been educated in ancient rhetoric, in ancient philosophy. But we are also told, notice here, that he was not only eloquent, that he was competent in the scriptures. Alexandria is believed to be the, the historic place where the Greek translation of the Old Testament came into existence. We refer to this as the Septuagint. What had happened was people were not reading Hebrew as readily, even the Jews. And because they were in these different parts of the world, surrounded by different languages and different cultures, there were different influences, and Hebrew started to go out of practice. 
And so what happened was they translated the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek language. Now, we all know that the New Testament was written in the Greek language, uh, but what not everyone knows is that the Old Testament, there's also an Old Testament that is in Gre- the Greek language. That Greek Old Testament came from Alexandria. And most believe that when you read through the Gospels, when you read through the book of Acts, when you read that a portion of, of the Old Testament is being quoted, most believe that the quotations come from the Septuagint, not necessarily the Hebrew version of the Bible. So when it says here that Apollos was someone who was eloquent and he was competent in the Scriptures, he is coming from a place where the Hebrew scriptures had been translated into Greek, he has studied them, and this is the version that is primarily being used. And so he is being described here very similarly to the way Ezra is described in chapter 7, where Ezra is described as being skilled in the law of Moses. Apollos is eloquent, he has an education in philosophy and in rhetoric, or he can speak good. But he also is coming from a place that was known for, for having the Old Testament scriptures and studying and knowing those Old Testament scriptures in Greek. Literally here it says that he was competent or that he was strong and that he was power, he was strong and powerful in the writings. Now, that's a wonderful description. He knows how to speak well. He knows how to form arguments very well. And he knows the content of the Old Testament. Now, what we also know here that is special about Apollos is that in his his competent, powerful teaching of the Old Testament, he sees the Old Testament teaching Christ. He doesn't see the Old Testament as as something that was only there to tell the story of the Hebrew people that was centered on the geopolitical Hebrew nation that was uh, this earthly uh, focus of the Jewish people having military power over the whole world. No, what he understands is that through the narrative of the people, of, of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, it was telling that deeper grander, more eternal story of the Christ. The promised Messiah of Genesis chapter 3. And so he is someone who he can speak well, he can formulate arguments well, and, and he knows the content of the Scripture, and he knows how the Scripture is pointing and teaching Jesus as the Christ. But if you notice, something's missing. That's a pretty good description. And yet what we're also told is that he only knew the baptism of John. There was something missing. Now, what we are told here is in what he had, he had a lot. And with what he had, he did great things. When it says here uh, that he was fervent in spirit, it's literally in the Greek saying that he was boiling over in the spirit. 
He is fervent. He is passionate. The truth of God has so overtaken his mind and his heart and his will that everywhere he goes, he is bubbling over. He is boiling over with the word of God. And yet he didn't know it all. And so how would someone trained in philosophy and trained in the Greek Septuagint and trained in, in all these different things, this, this high, highly academic individual, how is he going to learn what he doesn't know? It's not through Paul. Another one who was trained in philosophy and rhetoric and the Old Testament scriptures is through a married couple who are tent makers. It's through a husband and wife that also have, who have sat under the teaching of Paul, who know more than this person formally and academically trained. And what is beautiful here is that there is this beautiful description of oneness in life and in love and in mission in this interaction between this academically trained theologian and these two laypersons who love Jesus Christ. And there's this beautiful unfolding of humility across the board. The academic is taken to dinner now, we don't know if they took him to dinner. That's what I hope happened. You can almost hear the dialogue between Priscilla and Aquila where they are excited. We are told they're excited about what they heard and they really appreciated it and they were really drawn in to the message of this person who didn't know everything. Now, that right there, can we talk about the humility of being excited because of hearing Christ preached, even if all your little hot special topics aren't being touched on. Now, we're, we're a Presbyterian church. We're a conservative Presbyterian church. We are reformed. And sometimes, because of that, and by sometimes, I mean almost all the time, we can be theological snobs. And when we sit in front of, and sit under preaching, if things aren't worded just exactly the right way or with just the special amount of precision or if it's not if you don't really hit on the sovereignty of God to the point that it sounds like there is no participation one bit whatsoever for people if you don't do it that way we will call the preaching into question it doesn't matter if Christ is clearly proclaimed. It doesn't matter if the scriptures are unfolded and there is an accurate, we are told here about Apollos, an accurate presentation of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. If it doesn't fit all of our special little niches, we can be like, mm. But notice what this older, more mature couple, how they responded. They were able to celebrate what should be celebrated. As those who had been discipled by Paul, who, as you recall in Philippians, would say, even if people are preaching Christ for the wrong reason, praise be to God that Christ is being preached. 
And this older, more mature couple exercised this humility of being able to focus on what is truly important, and that is Christ. Even if it's not complete. So that, that, that's a beautiful picture of humility, of older, more mature Christians being able to still listen and celebrate what is important in preaching, and that is Christ. I love the humility of Apollos. Here's this learned, learned, trained academic, and these two tent makers say, man, we really appreciated that sermon. But we also think we might be able to help fill out the story a little bit more for you. And how does he respond? Oh, well, give me a book and I'll read it. Or can you show me in the Greek? Or, well, can you quote Calvin? Or well, Calvin wasn't here yet, but may as well have been. Right? He sits with them and he learns. Beloved, I am the most academically trained theologian in this room and I don't know it all. And I know that there are many of you sitting out here who are older and more mature in the faith, who pray more and pray better than I do, who pray with more faith, who have spoken to more people about Jesus, who have called attention to our Savior in so many ways that go way beyond what I have done at this point. And I want you to know that I want to learn from you. Now, I have to warn you. I'm an external processor. And what that means is, as you are talking to me, I don't think it through, I talk it through. So I'm not challenging you, I'm processing. So stick with me. Stick with me. Don't give up on me. But can I also say that when I have something that's incomplete, when I don't touch on everything, because I'm not touching on everything in this text. If you, if you don't notice, there are several things I'm staying away from. I'm not always going to try to get every detail. And if you think I've left something out or I've missed something or whatever, come and talk to me. But do it like this. Pull me aside. Take me to dinner or coffee. Coffee's fine. But let's talk. Let's talk about these things. Let's share ideas and let's learn from one another. But what I love about the humility here is there is a judgment of charity that is being used by Priscilla and Aquila. A judgment of charity where they are assuming the best and they are interacting with Apollos on that basis. And so they take him into a private setting not seeking to embarrass, not seeking to judge, but seeking to love, seeking to be one in the life, love, and mission of Jesus Christ. One other thing that I would point out here, fellas, Priscilla is part of the teaching. Now, let's remember what I just said. They pull away into private. 
This is not a public setting. This is not, as some have tried to say, is a good argument for women preaching or for, for other things like that. But what is also very evident and very true is that it is not the case that the women in church have nothing to offer the church, or let me say it more precisely, have nothing to offer the men by way of teaching and explaining the way of Jesus Christ. And the humility that is exemplified here by Apollos is a humility that shows his willingness to sit and to have this older, more mature woman of the faith teach him. Not just that he's willing to sit with laypersons and learn. He is sitting under or sitting with this woman. And he's learning from her. And notice that what happens is we are told that as he leaves Ephesus and he goes to Corinth, that they send a letter saying, this, this guy is a good guy. And what we see is that he does even more better ministry because of what he learned from Priscilla and Aquila. And he goes off and he becomes an even greater blessing to the church. This is what I want for the ministry of Grace Covenant Church where the oneness that we have in the life, love, and mission of Jesus Christ is a oneness that is exercised from the pulpit to the congregation, from the congregation to the pulpit. I do not expect you to sit there and say to yourself, well, Pastor David said it, so that's just how it is. But also, when you disagree with me, don't assume the worst, come and talk with me. And let's smile and let's laugh even as we disagree. And let's hug on the way out. Because we're not going to agree on every single jot and tittle of theology. We're just not. We're not in heaven yet. We are not yet one in Christ's glory. And so until that time, we are still going to be sinners as we confessed from the very beginning of the service. Where the sin that we still wrestle with as the people of God is a sin that has affected our minds. It has affected our hearts. It has affected our hands and our feet. And we are going to disagree academically on things. We're going to disagree uh, on the emotions of certain things. We're going to disagree on what to do. But remember that as we do this, that those disagreements are disagreements that are experienced by parties who are one in the life, love, and mission of Jesus Christ. Beloved, Apollos is exercising the humility that has been given to him because of his union with Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila are exercising the humility that's been given to them because of their union in Jesus Christ. And it is that shared union that allows for disagreements, 
to be dealt with in a beautiful way that leads to everyone being better and that leads to the good of the church of Jesus Christ. Point one. I'm just joking. We're going to stop. We'll have to pick back up with chapter 19 as we go. But beloved, what we have here is such a beautiful picture of the ministry that was taking place in Ephesus. The ministry that was taking place as the result of Jesus Christ through his spirit still doing his ministry, calling us to be participants in that ministry through his spirit. And so as you leave today, I want you to have this vision of not just you in Jesus Christ, but this vision of us in Jesus Christ. And that the focus of everything that we do, say, speak, pray, whatever it is, whatever we are doing, it is about Jesus Christ. And when we do, Lord willing, the study that's coming up on the Westminster Standards, what we are doing in that study, now I'm really going to start preaching, what we are doing in that study is not learning theology for the sake of knowing theology. Everything in that confession is an explanation of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what it means for us to be one in his life, love, and, spirit, in, in his life, love, and mission. And so when we study theology, we're studying that to know Christ and to know who we are in Christ so that we can live out who we are in Jesus Christ. We are not studying theology so that we can walk around like proud peacocks who think that we know the Bible better. Because if that's your approach to theology, that person who has never been academically trained, who has never read the Westminster Confession of Faith, but who has lived a life of seeking Jesus Christ in worship and in prayer and in living sacrificially by taking up that cross knows so much more. And that is the person that we want to be learning from. And so let's do this together. Do you want that? It's okay. We're Presbyterians, but we can say amen. Do you want that? Well, let's pray for it. Our Heavenly Father, what a beautiful picture you have outlined for us. The importance of academic study. The necessity of being well-trained in the Scriptures and in theology, but also the importance that this is done in community, that this is done in shared lives together, and that this is done where everyone has something to learn from everyone. And so, Lord, you have told us the heart of your Son for us. Lord, help us to to cultivate the heart of Jesus Christ for the ministry of this church. And help us to be a people who will take the scriptures seriously so that we will know you better and that we would worship you more deeply because of that greater, not only understanding, but a greater boiling over in fervency for who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And may Grace Covenant Church come to be known, not only for Bible and for theology, but for boiling over in fervency for Jesus Christ, for one another, and for this broken world. Oh Lord, help shape and form not only our minds, but our hearts. And teach us, Lord, that it is not just okay, but you want us to be fervent in our passion for you, for one another, and for this world. And so cultivate those things within us, Lord, and cut out the things that get in the way. And forgive us for the ways that we will demand our little theological points to be emphasized even when it is Jesus Christ that is the center of a spirit-filled ministry, not only in Ephesus, Lord, but we pray that you would do that in Grace Covenant Church. Do this for your glory, for our good, and for the witness of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.